Maybe the galley was right over top of the the bridge. I don't know. Yeah, or the so. toilet. <laughs> that would suck, actually, wouldn't it? If the toilet was right over the bridge. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brown alert. Brown alert. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. My name is Dana Smith, and as always, I'm joined by Dan Calzaretta. Good evening, Dan. Hey, Dana, we're back at it. Yeah, it seems like just the other day we were doing this. It, well, we were. <laughs> <laughs> it probably seems worse for you as you did all the editing. I want to apologize to the listeners. It, it came out late, just some issues in the editing bay of the Enterprise. And uh, I think we got it worked out. Hopefully, we'll try to get this one out on time. People may have no idea what the process is, but we record. Generally, it's between an hour and a half and two hours. Last time, it was two and a half hours. And then I got to edit that down to like a half an hour. And, uh, you know, a lot of it is just rambling, like me rambling about nonsense and getting us off the tracks. But I'm going to try not to do that, Dana. We should start something like a swear jar, you know, a rambling jar. I don't think I have enough money. (laughs) Wait, when are we going to start that? Because I think you'd have to put the money in the jar now because you just started rambling. I was rambling about rambling, so I don't know if that really counts. Oh, that probably cancels out. So last week was uh, the conscience of the king. A lot of people thought that we did a good job with the episode and they liked our Shakespearean appreciation. Also, they thought we added to the drama. So I don't know what we did, Dan. We're not usually the drama people. Yeah, I'm not sure how that worked out. Well, you did drama in high school. Oh, crap. I got to put money in the ramble jar. Damn it. Let's start out with like a $5 bill or something and work our way up. No, wait, who gets the money in the ramble jar? Like, how how does this end up getting distributed? And so now we're rambling about the ramble jar. Uh, (laughs) Well, people might want to know, like, if we really do this, well, how the money's, where the money's going. Uh, Well, there's a couple different options that we have. We could uh, give the money to a charity. Okay. What's another option that maybe includes (laughs) not doing that and giving it to ourselves? Yeah. Uh, we could use it to uh, fly out to a uh, Star Trek convention. Oh, speaking of Dana, in Seattle next year, there is going to be a Star Trek convention and we are planning to be there, aren't we? We sure are. And that's why I wanted to start the Ramble Jar so that you can pay for my flight out there. That's right. Well, for me, it's about a four and a half hour drive. For you, it'd be a several hour flight. So uh, we'll have to work that out. But We'll be talking about that more in an upcoming episode, and we'll put links in the show description as we um, start to get closer to that. But I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, especially after I fly first class out there. Oh, that's going to be a lot of money in that ramble jar. Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop rambling as of okay. now. Okay, this week's episode is... Balance of Terror. This is uh, one I remember as a kid and really being glued to the TV. I was pretty excited for this episode. Something we haven't seen yet on the Enterprise. The show starts off with a wedding. So right before the wedding starts, Kirk gets a message that they have lost contact with Outpost 2 and 3. He says, carry on to uh, Outpost 4 and keep me posted. And he goes back to perform the wedding. Now, did you notice uh, as they're getting the chapel ready, Yeoman Rand is lighting candles on, I assume what looks like an altar, but she's got her tricorder on. Why? Maybe she was recording it. Maybe the tricorder could also record, like, you know, people record their wedding videos and stuff. Well, that that's a good theory, but 
just prior to that, Scotty tells Kirk, camera's all set up. It's going to be beamed ship-wide. So I would assume they would have recorded it that way. She was a good yeoman, never went anywhere without her tricorder. She probably never even got naked without the tricorder. So uh, Kirk does a kind of a neat little wedding introduction. Since the days of the first wooden vessels, all shipmasters have had one happy privilege, that of uniting two people in the bonds of matrimony. And so we are gathered here today with you, Angela Martine, and you, Robert Tomlinson. In the sight of your fellows, in accordance with our laws and our many beliefs. And just when he's really getting into it, a red alert is sounded. Kirk here. Earth Outpost 4 reports they're under attack. Space vessel, identity unknown. Full ahead. All decks, condition red. And I wanted to point out, before I forget, did you take a look at the people in attendance at the wedding? I didn't look closely at them this time. Normally, I pause and take a close look. Why? What What was going on? Well, it was a very diverse crowd. I mean, there was several women, there was men, there was people of different races. Again, I thought it was one of those moments in Star Trek where it shows how diversity all comes together. Yeah, and for all the faults that we have pointed out about Star Trek, and specifically around its sexism issues, um, that is one thing I think they got right. Yeah, I agree. I, I think they really did a good job of doing that. The wedding is kind of canceled because of the alert. We learned the Enterprise has been patrolling the neutral zone between planets Romulus and Remus and the rest of the galaxy. Kirk comes on the bridge and receives the reports from his staff. Kirk asks for the star sector on the screen. They mention the Earth-Romulan War. From nearly a century before, Spock says Romulans have never been seen. The people of Earth believed Romulans were warlike, heartless, cruel, and treacherous. And then he adds, and who knows what the Romulans thought of the Earth people. I found it interesting where they talk about this war a hundred years ago. As you mentioned, humans have never seen Romulans and Romulans have never seen humans. They explain that by saying that the ships were really primitive. They didn't have a way to do any kind of visual communication between ships. They fought this war with the Romulans with primitive atomic weapons. And although there was a treaty, all this was done over subspace radio where they couldn't see each other. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Kind of a new Cold War going on there. Yeah, and this idea of a neutral zone is really interesting as well. I mean, this is not without precedent. We have neutral zones. They're not called that necessarily, but demilitarized zones. There's one right now between North and South Korea. That war actually has never ended. It's never, no peace treaty's ever been signed. They just agreed to stop fighting, but there is, uh, the war has actually not officially ended, but there is that demilitarized zone and no side can enter it. True. And it's all uh, filled with mines and stuff. So if somebody does, it's not going to be a good situation. You know, I think Uh, mimes in a neutral zone would be great because I wouldn't go into a neutral zone if there were mimes. Mines. Oh, mines. Oh, is this, is this a Ramble Jar event, Dana? (laughs) No. Hold on. Let me, hold on. I got it. Let me, hold on. Let me get the... Okay, I'm opening up the ramble jar. I'm throwing I'm throwing money in it, Dana. Damn it. Just put your checking account book in there. I'll just put a credit card in there. <laughs> yeah, we'll fill it out later. So the star sector that we see on screen kind of looks like something I did in third grade. Uh, <laughs> you know, you draw a line and you put dots on one side and then you put a couple dots on the other side. And then you draw another line to show that there's like a greater valley there, or maybe a river or something. I wasn't real impressed by the star sector. Yeah, the graphics were not great. 
great. This is one place where I did pause it and take a closer look. The planet Romulus is labeled. There's another planet right next to it. Now they say it's the planet Remus. So Romulus is shown, Dana, but that other planet is not labeled Remus, is it? No, it's Ramai or Rom2 or something like this. R-O-M-I-I, it looks yeah, like to me. Yeah, that's what I saw it as as well. So I, what, what do you think was going on there? Maybe that's just the way Earth people thought Remus was spelled. I was not impressed by the graphics. No, no, they were not impressive at all, really. The other thing is that the outposts that are there are on asteroids. Now, did they get the asteroids to stop moving? Don't asteroids move through space? That is a great point. I didn't even think about that. Maybe they moved the asteroids there as like outposts and then somehow got them to just stay in one spot. Kind of like the idea of having an outpost on an asteroid, considering that in the past few years we've crashed a uh, ship onto an asteroid to study more about what it's uh, made of. It's a neat concept. I like the idea of something being on there. The uh, the show that we both watched on Amazon. The Expanse. There was the Belters who existed in an asteroid belt. Yeah, I was hoping they'd also have the Suspenderers who like existed <laughs> on some type of suspender. Oh, damn it. Got, hold on. Got the jar out again. <laughs> The other thing about the outposts is there were like eight of them. I can't remember how many, but they weren't in order. It like went one, two, three, seven, six, eight, or, or so. it's like they gave up after a while. <laughs> well, maybe one of those asteroids was moving and they just, you know, kept changing the number of it as it moved <laughs> along. So Because they move. They don't stay in the same place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. The owner of the company I work for was an astrophysicist. And so I bet you I can ask him if asteroids ever just like sit in one spot. Okay, so because of the treaty, the Enterprise cannot take the offensive. They can only respond if they are attacked. Kirk talks to the whole ship and says, To avoid interspace war, both these outposts and this vessel will be considered expendable. Which is, uh, you know, would be a little shocking if you're uh, one of the crew on the ship and you're thinking, okay, we've had no crew members die for like the past five weeks. Are we going to finally be the ones that up this count, this dead crewman count? They're expendable. So, Dana, I think we need to talk about the names of these planets, Romulus and Remus. That comes out of ancient Roman folklore, but it had to do with the founding of Rome. They were two infants, brothers, who were suckled by a wolf, and then they grew up, and they had a battle over who was going to control Rome, and uh, I think Romulus won. Uh, that's all I really remember. Kirk says they don't know what the Romulan ship will look like. And at the helm is Ensign Stiles, and he says he knows what a Romulan warship will look like and states that members of his family perished in the previous war. Kirk says, Their war, Mr. Stiles. Not yours. Don't forget it. Yes, sir. And Styles doesn't seem to take that too well. But Styles says he knows what the ship looks like. He said it looks like a bird of prey. But if they've never seen them and they don't know what the ship looks like, how does he know? I know. That's what I'm saying. But he says it in here that he knows what yeah. it looks like. So what? what's and this guy's And he says deal? like his 
that's when he says like his grandfather fought them and stuff but if his grandfather died in that battle did he send back a description do i hand drawing and put it in a space tube send it out coke bottle send it out to him (laughs) yeah I, i i agree with you that's why this part didn't really make too much sense to me kirk makes a comment like well aren't you the historian or something like that or i had no history was your specialty or basically shut the fuck up <laughs> yeah and so, he responds uh, well family history that's that's how he responds to kirk yeah yeah spock reports that outposts two and three are gone spock says the asteroids they were constructed on were pulverized kirk takes note and puts the ship in battle stations all weapons to full power and then we get to see something we never see again or ever saw before the phaser room yeah i love this part actually i thought it was really cool it this really reminded me of the submarine movies yeah kind of like where they're preparing the depth charges or yeah or on the submarine like the torpedo room that's that's what it reminded me of especially but yeah it was a decent sized room and a lot of controls down there and stuff and the young couple that was going to get married are both working there yeah which they, you know yeah. i found to be a little bit odd uh, because the guy tomlinson yeah he says to the woman well mr you know we're not married yet and and for now i'm still your commander so you better hop to it or something along those lines. I was just thinking, oh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that. That's weird. Yeah. And then she says, oh, we're going to get married. Basically like come hell or high water, or damn the phasers or something like that. And so. he's thinking, I thought I was going to be able to get out of this, but maybe not. <laughs> He seemed like he was genuinely in love with her. So I don't think he was thinking that. They get a communication from Hansen on Outpost 4. He says Outposts 2, 3, and 8 have all been destroyed. We knew about 2 and 3. And he said the weapons used in the attack are very powerful and took out their deflector shields. Hansen says the ship that attacked them disappeared somehow. So then uh, Kirk asked to get a visual and they get a visual of uh, Hansen in some kind of control room. There's like flames all around him. Everything looks like it's been destroyed uh, and Hansen doesn't look so good himself he's in pretty bad shape and he says there is a ship approaching they switch the screen to see the ship and then we see a giant red yellow blob released from the ship we cut back to Hansen as outpost 4 is destroyed the screen glows and everyone on the bridge has to shield their eyes the ship that fired the weapon just disappears yeah when they open their eyes again they don't see anything and Kirk is like where did it go and I thought that was kind of a neat thing. Kind of like a submarine could appear above water and then go down and they'd lose sight of it. We're getting this whole chase thing going on. And the shape of the ship was really interesting. Actually, the ship was designed by our friend Wa Chang. So Spock reports that Outpost 4 has been disintegrated. Kirk asks for the position of the intruder. Spock says the ship cannot be located. Spock says there's a blip on the motion sensor. Kirk asks for full magnification, is told that they are at full magnification, but they still cannot see anything, just space. Then Spock reports to uh, Kirk that the invisibility is theoretically possible. He says the power consumption is enormous. Just as a side note, I work in uh, laser optics. I've read articles where they talk about bending light to cause things to appear to disappear. They can do it to some degree, just not as big as what you'd like. So Dana, come on, you can tell us. It's just you and me right now. Do you have an (laughs) invisibility cloak of some kind? 
not personally, no. If you did have one, would you use it like to just spy on people, you know, your neighbors or get in people's houses and just kind of be able to listen to conversations? <laughs> I don't know if I get in people's houses. That's a pretty intrusive, but yeah, hell yeah, I'd use it. You know, I mean, <laughs> I'd be I'd be everywhere at work in my invisibility cloak. Find out what people really think. <laughs> Do they hold back when they're talking to you how they feel about you or are they pretty clear with you? It's hard to tell. I like to think people are always honest with me. Uh, no, you know, there's there's other things that go on. It's not just about me. It's not all about me. <laughs> it should be, but it's not. I would totally use it. I would really use it. And I would want to just, not in a malicious way, but I'd want to mess with people a little bit. You know what I mean? I don't know. Like you that, could would, be in... that would be malicious because well, you're messing with people. Well, okay. Uh, when I say malicious, I mean, I wouldn't want to be cruel. Like harmful. I, yeah. Or harmful. Yeah. I would want to have the cloak on and let's say you're, you know, walking down the street and you just kind of smack someone on the back of the head and they turn around like, what was that? I don't know. I think that would be kind of fun to just, and just walk around being invisible. I think that would be pretty cool. Oh yeah. No, you know, they always ask you like, if you had a superpower, what would your superpower be? Being able to fly is is a big one, but being invisible, that'd be pretty cool. I, I would do it for sure. But let's talk about this whole blip thing. The ship is invisible, but there's a yep. blip, a motion blip. What difference it's does it make? It's a motion sensor. Yeah. Yeah, motion sensor. So what difference does I've it make? I've got motion sensors on my house. If a Romulan ship came cloaked, I'm wondering if they would go off. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> They wouldn't. I'm pretty sure. My motion sensors are not as technologically advanced as uh, as what they had in the 23rd century. Well, so this is a good point, actually, that we're bringing up right now. This whole idea of a motion sensor. Yes, they can't see the ship, but they know where the ship is. So what difference does it make if they can see it or not? Right. They know where to fire. This is kind of discussed for the rest of the show. You know, they'd just be firing at blank space. Not sure if they're hitting anything. So they've got a, a general idea because of the motion sensor. And I don't know what the motion is that they're getting. Is it because like a distortion in space? Is it something the engines are giving off? Yeah, I, I don't know either. And I don't think they know. I, th I think this was the writers just didn't know how to kind of deal with it. So they just went with this. So they set a course to be on a parallel path with the ship so that if the Romulans are using their sensors, they might just think the Enterprise is an echo of their own ship. And then Stiles points out rather emphatically that there could be Romulan spies on board the Enterprise. Yeah, so Dana, I don't understand this part too. I, I really like this episode, I'm going to say. I, I thought it was yeah. really well done. But as I dig into it a little bit, and as we start talking about it, there are parts that I either didn't think about because I'm involved in the drama of the show, or I did think about it and I was like, well, it doesn't really matter. But this is one of them, like Romulan spy on the ship. Where did that come from? Well, I think that's a holdover from the 50s paranoia. The communist threat of the 40s and 50s was still around. And I think that the writers, some of the writers had probably lived through that. That, that whole idea that the bad guys could be right among us. Just then, Uhura picks up communications from the this alien ship. Spock says he can lock onto it and get a picture of their bridge. If they can do that, couldn't they figure out where the ship is? Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> so. That's a great point. 
So they put it on screen and we see the Romulan commander. He looks a lot like a Vulcan. When we first see him, we see him from the back and he yeah. does this dramatic turn toward the camera and we see the ears. Yeah, and the eyebrows. And did you notice everyone else on that Romulan bridge, with the exception of one person, they were all wearing these kind of helmets that covered up their ears. And from what I read, they did that as a cost saving device to uh, keep them from having to do makeup on everybody. Yeah, they couldn't, they didn't have enough money to make a bunch of pointy ears. So they made cheap plastic helmets. That looked very Roman. So we mentioned earlier Romulus and Remus. The terms that they're using on the bridge of the Romulan ship, they refer to the leader of the Romulans as the Praetor. Another person that's on the bridge, it looks like he's probably the second in command. They refer to as the Centurion. So there's a very Roman influence here. They even do what, at least what I've seen in movies, is what would look like a Roman salute, the fist to the chest. I I found that kind of interesting that this was very Roman. Roman Empire influenced. We see the Romulan commander, and like I said, he looks like a Vulcan. And Styles notices this and he looks back at Spock. Spock gets this kind of funny look on his face, like, well, this is gonna be hard to explain. That's exactly <laughs> what it was. I was trying to think of what that look was that you nailed it. That is it. Styles uh is really just glaring at Spock. Kirk sees this, but Uhura says that there's a coded message that she picked up from the Romulan ship. Kirk asks for the her to decode it. Styles makes a comment about Spock being able to decode the message. Kirk grabs a hold of the back of uh, Styles' chair and turns him toward him and says, Leave any bigotry in your quarters. There's no room for it on the bridge. Do I make myself clear? We see inside the Romulan ship and then a soldier comes on deck and the commander berates him for sending a message. And so then he reduces the soldier two steps in rank and sends him back on his way to his post. This is the message, Dana, that Uhura intercepted? Correct. This older centurion points out... Take care, commander. He has friends. And friends of his kind mean power. And power is danger. Danger and I are old companions another great line out of this episode. Yeah. And it doesn't always have to be delivered by the good guys. Yeah, that's true. I mean, this is one of the best lines and it's by one of the Romulans. Back on the Enterprise, Kirk gets everyone to the briefing room. Kirk asks if they can engage the enemy with reasonable possibility of victory. Scotty says, no question, their power is simple impulse. Styles suggests that they attack, and then Styles continues on that if the Enterprise doesn't do something, the Romulans will come after them with everything they've got. Spock says, I agree. Attack. And if the Romulans are an offshoot of my Vulcan blood, and I think this likely, then attack becomes even more imperative. War is never imperative, Mr. Spock. It is for them, Doctor. And if the Romulans retain this martial philosophy, then weakness is something we dare not show. They learn that the Romulan ship is turning toward a comet's vapor trail. They see this as their opportunity. When the Romulan passes through the vapor trail, it will become visible. Kirk orders battle stations and says, prepare to attack. So as Kirk goes down the hall, we see men and women uh, running to their stations. And I thought this was good. You might remember one of the last times that we did uh, where we talked about where they went. It wasn't battle stations, but it was a red alert. There was like somebody like looked like they were spackling a wall and another guy was doing a test on a pipe in the wall and stuff and some people just didn't seem to care that they were on red alert so uh, it was nice to see everybody responding reacting moving like there was a emergency going on maybe there's a difference between red alert and battle stations red alert maybe means keep the spackling up don't give that up (laughs) 
<laughs> Battle station means drop the spackle tool and get to the phaser room. Back on the bridge, we see the comet on the screen. Kirk gives the orders to attack once the ship is visible in the vapor trail. They go through the vapor trail and they see nothing. They realize then they've been avoided. Then he says fire blind, lay down a pattern. We see the phaser room again as they fire. So when they fire, we see that the Romulan ship is being shaken. Uh, the older Centurion jumps up and pushes the commander out of the way of a falling girder, I guess you'd call it. And the girder hits the Centurion. When the commander gets the girder off of the Centurion, he orders all power to the weapons. On the Enterprise, they're trying to fire phasers and Sulu reports that the phasers aren't working and says some of the circuitry has burned up. So Spock gets underneath one of the consoles, pulls this little vent cover off. There's things burning inside of there. You see circuits or I don't know what's in there. And he's kind of hitting it to knock the flame out. I know they have got to put these things in for dramatic effect, but wouldn't that circuit be down in the phaser room? Spock tells him it'll take some time to fix and the Romulan ship appears. And, you know, when it appears, now you know it's going to fire. Kirk says, full astern emergency warp. So, But they're backing up as fast as they can, right? to get away from this plasma blast. Yeah. They report that the weapon uh, that was fired upon them is gaining on them. So they keep waiting for the uh, the weapon to strike and that's it builds good tension. They do a good job of building tension. Sulu reports that the weapon is dissipating so then they're hit. The damage isn't that severe. It's just, it kind of shakes the ship. They get thrown against the railing. But in this scene, people are being thrown about the bridge, right? When the weapon hits. If you watch that scene again, all of the crew go to the left, with the exception of Kirk and Uhura and Rand, they get thrown to the right. Did you watch Uhura? I did, but what what did you notice? She kind of like comes out of her chair with her arms up in the air and spins over to the door. But she Uh, was a dancer back in in before Star Trek. Yeah, that's what it looked like, like she was dancing. (laughs) She was doing the Romulan tango. Spock says that he has the phasers ready again, so Kirk gives the order to catch up to the Romulan ship before they reach the neutral zone. So the Enterprise shuts down all of its systems and its engines, so they remain invisible to the Romulan sensors. Okay, so both ships are trying to be completely silent and completely still at this point. That's right out of a World War II submarine movie. So we go to Kirk's quarters, and he is laying down, kind of staring at the ceiling, and we hear his door open. Yeoman Rand comes into Kirk's quarters, and she asks if she can get him something from the galley. She said coffee, at least. He says, thank you. Take it to the bridge. I'll be there in a minute. And just as Rand is leaving, McCoy enters. And you notice kind of he uh, gave Rand and Kirk a little bit of a look like, hmm, did I walk yeah. in on something? Or Rand leaves and uh, Kirk says to McCoy, I wish you I were on a long sea voyage somewhere and no responsibility. And then he kind of goes on about, you know, the woes of being in charge and says with everyone looking at him for answers. And then he says, what if I'm wrong? He gets up and says, I'm not really expecting an answer. And McCoy says, in this galaxy is a mathematical probability of three million Earth-type planets. And in all of the universe, three million million galaxies like this. And in all of that, and perhaps more, only one of each of us. Don't destroy the one named Kirk. 
I thought that's a great line. So back on the bridge, Spock is finishing up the repairs. Uh, as he gets up, he reaches up on the panel to lift himself up and he hits a button that makes a loud noise, starts lights flashing. And then we see the Romulan ship and they hear the noise. Kirk orders uh, full power and reverse course and then fires the phasers. The Romulan ship takes damage. One of the officers says they are beaten and the commander orders more debris into the tubes and then he says wants a nuclear warhead put in with the debris. Spock reports there's more debris and then he says one metal cased object. Kirk says fire the phasers point blank and explosion rocks the whole ship. Spock reports that the object was a nuclear device of some kind detonated less than 100 meters away and damage sustained was mainly overloads and circuit burnouts. Scotty reports that the ship's phaser room is ready but Tomlinson might remember is the guy that was going to get married, is manning the area alone. Stiles turns and says his first assignment was in weapons control. Kirk sends him on his way and uh, orders Uhura to take the navigation helm. Kirk gives the order to hold the position and play dead. Spock goes to the phaser room. We see Stiles in there with Tomlinson. He offers help, but Stiles says, this time we'll handle things without your help, Vulcan. I couldn't believe he said this to Spock, and I couldn't believe Spock didn't just, like, take him out. And Spock just kind of like gives him a look like you gotta be kidding me and just shows Spock's not affected by these types of things right he walks out right after he walks out we hear a noise and then we see that the phaser coolant seal is leaking pink gas I kind of like that effect I thought it was pretty cool Stiles sends Tomlinson to check it out on the bridge the uh, the main screen shows the Romulan ship appear Kirk gives the order to fire but nothing happens Spock is in the corridor and hears Kirk uh, yelling over the intercom, you know, fire the phasers and ask him where Stiles and Tomlinson are. And Spock turns around and runs back to the phaser room. I got to say, the run was really, really awkward. Did you see him as he kind of turned the corner? It looked like he was really yeah. worried he was going to slip or something. I bet those boots that they wore didn't have a lot of great traction. Spock goes in and now the room is like filled with this pink cloud. We see Stiles on the floor uh, and Tomlinson back by the wall. And Spock goes over and pushes some buttons on one console and then runs over and uh, hits a button to fire the phasers. We see the Romulan ship get struck and then their ship goes dark. Kirk hails the ship. Kirk offers to beam the Romulans aboard the Enterprise. Commander says this is not their way. I regret that we meet in this way. You and I are of a kind in a different reality. I could have called you friend. Yeah, I, I like this line as well, Dana. I thought it showed, again, this mutual respect between these two combatants where they didn't really have anything personally against each other. They respected the ability of the other. So then the commander walks back and turns a switch and, and the Romulan ship gets blown up. So then we uh, we go to sickbay and Stiles is alive and he credits Spock for saving his life. Mr. Spock... He pulled me out of the phaser room. Saved my life. He risked his life, and after I... I saved a trained navigator so that he could return to duty. I'm capable of no other feelings in such matters. Kirk asks if they've lost anyone. McCoy responds, only one, and it was Tomlinson, the boy who was going to get married, and his fiance is at the chapel now. So he did get out of the marriage. <laughs> the hard way. Yeah. <laughs> Then uh, Kirk goes into the chapel where Tomlinson's fiance is waiting. 
Uh, she looks like she's on her knees praying. She gets up off the floor and goes to and hugs Kirk. And Kirk kind of like gives her a reassuring hug. And he says, it never makes any sense. We both have to know that there was a reason. And she says she'll be all right. And then she exits. Kirk exits a moment later and walks down the hall. And you could see once again, he's kind of like the lone man on the ship having to deliver bad news, um, having won the battle, you know, after everything he'd been through, you, you kind of get that sense of relief to some degree, but yet regret. I wanted to point out the Romulan commander was portrayed by Mark Leonard. In future episodes, he goes on to play Spock's father, and not only in the original series, but also in Star Trek The Next Generation. He actually has a pretty reoccurring role in The Next Generation. They used him quite a bit. The officer on the Romulan ship that got uh, demoted actually comes back later as a Vulcan when uh, Spock returns to Vulcan to marry his fiance. So, Dana, how about we talk about our best and worst parts of this episode? What was one best part for you? This might sound odd, but the uh, whole bigotry thing with styles towards Spock. Again, this is mid-60s to uh, bring up such a thing, to put it out there that it wasn't a good thing. You know, I, I just thought it was a, a great part of the story. One of the best parts for me was the Romulans, the backstory that we get about the war with the humans. And I really love the design on their ship, the underside of the ship having that picture of the bird. I really like that. I thought that was pretty cool. How about another best part for you? I don't know if you noticed, but there was lots of moving cameras in this episode. There was like zoom-ins on characters' faces uh, and uh, kind of switching from one character to another, which really enhanced the, the dramatic effect of this episode. I thought they did a really good job with that. One of the other best parts for me was the respect that Kirk and the Romulan commander who, by the way, we never learn his name. It's never said. Uh, but the respect that those two had for each other. How about a worst yeah. part for you? The small confines of the Romulan ship. It, it seemed like they said, let's just get everybody to crowd around this one little spot. One of the worst parts for me was, I mentioned this earlier, when the nuclear device went off near the Enterprise, people were thrown in different directions. Uhura and Kirk and Rand went one way. The rest of the crew went the other direction. Uh, that was one of the worst for me. Dana, one of the dilemmas I saw on the show revolves around if war is ever justified and is there such thing as a defensive war? In other words, attacking an enemy before they attack you because you think they're going to attack you. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I thought they they played that well. You know, the whole idea that Kirk was kind of being drawn in to protect these outposts at the same time trying to maintain peace. You know, a, a defensive war, boy, uh, there's no way to do that that I can think of. McCoy in this episode was uh, kind of the voice of reason here where he talks about, you know, you're talking about millions and millions of lives. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It would be so difficult to figure that part out. It would almost be like deciding you're going to kill someone because you think they're going to attack you without any real evidence. This was the whole debate around the Iraq war. Weapons of mass destruction. Yes, right? We invaded Iraq under Bush. It seems like ancient history at this point, but you know, going in to stop a potential attack that never happened. And I mean, there was a lot of debate around that as well at the time. Hey, Dan, how about we get to the counts? 
All right, let's start with the dead crewman count. It is kind of exciting this week, Dana, don't you think? Not for Tomlinson's wife. (laughs) Or for Tomlinson. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so he buys it in this episode, doesn't he? We don't actually see him die. Was he wearing a red shirt? No, he was in like a gold shirt. So Tomlinson dies. I think it was the pink gas that killed him in the phaser control room. Yes. We do finally have one. It's been like five weeks, five or six weeks. We finally have one this week. We are up to 20 and we're in episode 14. So I'm hoping that picks up a little bit. What about the shirtless Kirk rip shirt Kirk count? Kirk didn't fight anybody. I don't think that we see any rip shirts or shirtless Kirk or anything. Or pantless Kirk. No, we don't. We get nothing this week. We're not counting that one. Yeah. Right. But zero. So we are stuck at seven on this one. What about the he's dead count? None. McCoy is the one that tells Kirk that Tomlinson is dead. He didn't say he's dead, Jim. Right. Yeah. And again, we had the opportunity, didn't we? Yeah. But it was not to be, Dana. Zero. We're stuck at three. And then finally, I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. There was room for this, but they didn't do it. So uh, I did. I didn't remember hearing anything where he said that. No, you're right. It's zero. So we're stuck at one this week, Dana. And you mentioned this last week in last week's episode. A lot of opportunity, but it just didn't happen. Yeah, I, I really thought when uh, McCoy was talking to Kirk in his quarters that perhaps he would say something like that, but wasn't meant to be. Yep, did not happen, unfortunately. <laughs> Okay, I think that wraps us up for this week, Dan. All right, Dan, I'll see you next week. Okay, thanks again, Dan. Good show. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. We would love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook or Twitter. The links are in the show description. Make sure to be with us next week for the episode, Surely. For Dana and Dan, have a great week and remember to live long and prosper. 